Our sermon text this morning is the account of the first Palm Sunday, first and last Palm Sunday, the only Palm Sunday. Uh, It is from the Good News According to St. Luke, the 19th chapter. Let's give it our careful attention. It's written very cinematically so that you'll get a sort of immersive picture of it and picture yourself there. When Jesus had said these things, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. When he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet, he sent two of the disciples, saying, Go into the village in front of you, where on entering you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went away and found it just as he had told them. And as they were untying the colt, its owner said to them, why are you untying the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of it. Then they brought it to Jesus and throwing their cloaks on the colt, They set Jesus on it. And as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the road. As he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And when he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. But for now they are hidden from your eyes. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. You will probably know if you've been around that um, I take a lot of walks, or at least I try to. Uh, It's mostly settled into one walk, which is I walk almost to the nearest uh, place of access to the East River from my house, which even though I'm only three or 400 yards away from the East River, the Brooklyn Navy Yard blocks me from it. So I have to walk all the way around. I go on this little pilgrimage every day. And I go there, and as soon as I can smell the East River, smell the sea salt, as soon as I can see the currents and the flow and the boats, it just makes me feel better. I feel whatever was, whatever was churning and going around in my mind and body, just I feel small, as I like to say, but significant. Being near this mighty work of creation, this mighty river with its strong currents. Did you know, I check this just about every morning, and even on these walks, it didn't occur to me how the river actually works, but today, low tide was at 9.30, high tide will be at 3.30 p.m. There's about a 2.7-foot swing in tide today. And when there's a big swing, or when you're walking, you know, you probably all know this, but I was just walking around one day, I was like, huh, the river's flowing in a different direction. Oh, right, that's a tide thing. And uh, I know, uh, he's not here this morning, I think, but our friend Peter Flint used to, used to steer boats on the river. And he just talks about it. It's, the currents are crazy. Uh, it's just wild uh, how powerful this river is. And, of course, we know the mythology of rivers, even uh, the Hudson and the East River in its own way as part of that. Uh, when they opened up the Erie Canal and 
if you will, turned on the faucet of flow into the Great Lakes. Down. This is what built New York City. This is what built us to be the, you know, one of the most wealthy and, and therefore powerful cities in the history of the world is because this flow of the river went into the central, into central America, uh, center of America, I should say, and it opened up all of this uh, trade through us. And so this flow of the river is so powerful, it's so important. Uh, and you can watch boats churning and working against it, and you can see them floating with it and going with the flow. And this is a phrase that we say, if you're going with the flow, right? It kind of makes you feel like, oh, are you chill? Are you putting up a fuss in a fight? Are you, are you hustling real hard? Are you kind of going with the flow of things? Um, I've only mentioned this once before, so probably you haven't heard it, but maybe you've read it somewhere. There's a whole science and psychology around this uh, phenomenon called the flow state, so to be in flow. You guys know what I'm talking about when I say that, most of you. So I won't spend a lot of time doing it. Perhaps you like running and you've been there where you just like, you're pounding the pavement and all of a sudden you're just thinking, you know, your mind kind of goes on autopilot and you're just in the moment and a few minutes later, maybe you have like tears of joy because you had a runner's high. You just were in the flow. You didn't even know how much time had passed. This can happen in all sorts of ways, you know, where uh, you're listening to music or you're singing or you're doing some sort of sport or perhaps you're drawing Flow is a state of mind in which a person becomes fully immersed in an activity. And one of the psychologists that posited this phenomenon and gave it the name says this. He says, when this happens, when you're in the flow state, the ego falls away. Time flies. Every action, movement, and thought follows inevitably from the previous one, like playing jazz. Your whole being is involved, and you're using your skills to the utmost. So you can be in the flow or in the zone. You have total absorption in what you're doing. In other words, you're really, really at home in your own skin and in the world because you're actively engaged in doing something. And then I, I would, I would, I would uh, sort of suggest that this is somewhat what, what the Apostle John means when he talks about being in, uh, e- e- in the age of eternal life. It doesn't just mean like forever and ever. It means that you've moved into this state of being where you're kind of dwelling in shalom, you might call it, where you're not stuck in your head and your ego and all these things, but you're just in the world and you're active in it and things are working together and time flies. Um, I'll skip this list of things that encompass an experience of flow. But some of the challenges, of course, to staying in the flow, as they've studied, are states like apathy, boredom, anxiety. Raise your hand if you have all three at once sometimes, okay? So it's difficult. Individuals can find flow, but it's also true that there's something called group and team flow. That when groups or teams, you've probably seen this in like amazing sporting events or people doing all kinds of interesting things when they're working together, it says that that is um, attainable when the, the performance unit is a group such that each, each team or musical group, when they cooperate to agree on goals and patterns, this thing called social flow happens, group cohesion. So when we have this, a common goal and we're working together, we're all using our gifts we can get into a group flow. So I just wanted to frame these two paths today with this idea of flow. And I want to ask the question, in your daily life, are you going with the flow? If so, what do we mean by that? Two ways to think about that. Where does the flow lead you? How do you know if you're floating down the right stream or if you're fighting upstream? Trying to, what's the destination? What's the difference? I think Jesus talked about it 
in a similar way as two paths. He said, you're always walking on a path. And there's one that it's a wide path, and many walk on it. And it leads to death. It leads to a state of exhaustion, and it's ultimately, finally pointless, and it leads to destruction. And we see him saying this to Jerusalem at the end of the passage we just heard. All this stuff is happening. He looks over on the city, all those that didn't come out to greet him and are going about their business, and he says, I just wish that you could have known what was happening to you today, but you can't see it. And then he talks about a narrow path, and it's hard to find, and few do find it, but it leads to shalom. It leads to peace, to fruitfulness, to flourishing, to a sense of being at home in your own skin and in the world. And he says people can choose which path to flow down. Which path, which direction are you going? And we're going to see that in our passage this morning through two paths, two technically parades. There are two parades. Only one shows up explicitly in our passage, but it's really important to know what happened on this day in the historical context. See that there are at least two paths, this wide one, the, thin, the, the narrow one, And we're going to call the wide one this morning the path of power, the path of trying to seek power uh, and to have it for yourself, to seek it anywhere apart from God and from his king. This is demonstrated by Pontius Pilate on the same morning, the same day that Jesus went into Jerusalem, and by all those people in Jerusalem who would have, whether through fear of condemnation or through excitement, gone to welcome Pilate into the city. See, Pilate is the earthly king, if you will. He's representing the Roman Empire. He's uh, overseeing Jerusalem at this time. And he's being celebrated at the same time that this Palm Sunday event happened that we are marking today. He is having a parade on the main entrance to town. This is the king from the world. He comes through the front gate from the west of the city. He's just left his palace that is on the ocean. And Pontius Pilate marched into Jerusalem. He comes to Jerusalem at the beginning of the high holy festival of the Jews when the population is swelled in Jerusalem from around 40,000 to over 200,000 people. Okay, this is a big, big holy week that they're excited to celebrate. And Pontius Pilate didn't come to offer sacrifice to atone for his sins. That's not why he was there, not to worship in that sense, to worship God Yahweh or to make sacrifice, but instead to make sure Jerusalem... And all the surrounding towns and villages understood who was in power. Caesar and the Roman Empire. You want Pax Romana? You want to have shalom? You want peace? Look at these swords and these spears and this metal and this parade of soldiers behind me. Look at our mighty war horse and our power. They would have thundered through Jerusalem from the front gate all the way up to Pilate's headquarters in the city that stood as the principal seat of power of Rome's occupation of Jewish Palestine. He was there partly to inspire awe and admiration, but also to inspire fear, to make the people remember Rome's force and what they did to the traitors who dared to defy them. They crucified them. See, This makes sense to us. We see this in the world today. We see it in egotistical leaders from almost every single nation, if not all nations. It makes sense to us. We understand that the world is a tough place, it's a difficult place, and everyone is kind of rushing after whatever they can grab of a piece of the pie. 
right? They want a little more power. And, and perhaps your power isn't just military strength. It's not something you lay in bed daydreaming about. But the power to keep yourself safe. The power to be recognized for your talents and gifts. Uh, the power to connect with people. The power to change things. The power to be independent. The power to participate in whatever story you think is the story of the world. We are convinced that it is our right to figure out where the destination is, where the path is supposed to lead, where the river is supposed to take us, and to swim and paddle and hustle like heck to get there, to be a king for the day, whether that's making money or enjoying some new adventure or experience or pleasure or transcendence. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus says that the stones cry out a certain thing, and we're going to get to that, which means that the world itself is crying out. It's proclaiming something. And sometimes we don't want to hear that. And so we just scream louder and louder. <coughs> Sorry, I have to grab my water. Got that dry spring allergy stuff. Thanks. See, if we don't hear the stones or the world saying what they actually say, as we're going to see in a minute, then we often will import our own meaning into the world. You know, in the old days, they might have seen the stones and called them little Celtic gods, right? Or we can think of stones as the frustrating repositories of utilitarian goods that we can make money from, such as jewels and oil. Or, if you're younger, perhaps, on a playground, they're useful tools for hitting someone in the head when they make you angry. Stones, we can do what we want with them, we think. They don't have a story. They're not part of a story. This world is disenchanted. There's nothing special about it. There's nothing transcendent. It's not telling an objective story. It's just whatever I make of it, right? And so we frantically paddle upstream against the current, hustling to make it to our preferred destination, some place where we have a little piece of power, or at least we're a part of the person who does have power. And notice that the telltale sign of this is trying to avoid suffering. I won't dig into it. But the idea is that I don't know where this thing is going. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put an engine on this thing and put the gas and just go in the other direction as, as, as much as I have to. We'll put the throttle down. We're going to fight because I don't know where that's going. I want to go there. I've got my mind set on this. And so you will go against the stream of the world. You will hustle for pomp or wealth or power or circumstance. This is the game, to try not to suffer to not entrust ourselves to others, to the world, and especially to God. Now, this is the easy way in the sense that everyone's doing it, right? And there's a deep part of us inside that defaults to this. Well, I don't know that there is a story, and if there is a story in the universe, I'm not sure it's a good one, so i got to make it my own, as I've said. And so, you know, if there's that default, and so it comes naturally to us. In that sense, it's easy. But it's also hard and that it demands everything from us, never-ending work, usually on our own or with a few others, working hard, you know, banging our head against the wall, getting tired of energy. Just, am I ever going to have enough money? Am I ever going to feel safe? Am I ever going to connect with people? Am I ever going to get enough? And you, we know the answer. And so we just keep sacrificing. We keep hustling. It demands basically worship from us all of our lives. And then we end up living in fear or dutiful loyalty as they did with Pilate in Rome. You have to show up, go through the motions, 
tell the king, you're the king, you're the boss. And it's all in the distant hope, never a promise, that we just might be one of the lucky few that gets out of the upstream current and finds a little place to set up camp and to be a king for the day. To finally get a place of influence or enough security or enough praise for ourselves. This is one path. It's a wide path. And there's a flow of people going down it. But Jesus shows at the same time that Pilate is showing his power, the path of power. That Jesus shows this other path, that there is another flow. And he argues that even though it's hard to see, even though most people don't see it on the day that it's happening, that it is the actual flow of creation and history. It is where the energy is moving. It's where the story is going. And the other path I'm calling this morning praise. Not trying to follow the path of power, but to follow the path of praise. We put ourselves in the sandals, if you will, of these people that show up and sing and scream and shout, Hosanna, glory, praise. They have palm branches. Jesus says there's some sense in which even the stones are crying out the same thing. Praise to you, Hosanna. Blessed are you, Jesus, the king that God has sent. And you look or you hear again all the orchestrated details from the passage. Just remember them. He says, you're going to go here. You're going to find this donkey. There's going to be owners. And when you say this thing to them, they're going to understand. And then you're going to come up. And he's rehearsing, actually, what King David did so many years ago into Jerusalem. So he's like story upon story, layer upon layer, you know. Uh, it's like when you get to book seven and all the stuff that has been building is, is, is happening. Everything is pregnant with meaning in this universe and in this moment. It's as if everything, palm branches, stones, donkeys, hills, everything is working for the good of this parade. That this parade happens. It's as if the whole world makes more sense when it is employed in the right story, the true story. Not a story of worldly power and of personal progress, but instead the story of praise. And we might ask, what sort of story are we in each week and day? Are we in Caesar's story? Are we in Putin's story? Are we even in whoever our political leader's story is here in America? Are we in capitalism's story? Are we in the secular story? Are we in a story of Nietzschean power plays? Are we in a story of survival of the fittest? Or have we given up on all these meta-narratives and saying there is no ultimate story, it's just whatever fun I want to have and make of my own personal identity? Or is it true that there's this other story? The good news. That even though there are lots of kings pretending to power, that God's one and only true king came to walk the path of solidarity with us through our suffering. If the path to power is about avoiding suffering, then the path of praise is about walking right into suffering. Starting with God himself, that Jesus came not to demand dutiful loyalty from us and sacrifice, but instead to walk this path that hardly anyone was paying attention to and to walk toward the cross 
to take our suffering and shame and alienation and sin upon himself. And that that's what we're truly praising him for, that the true king is a sacrificial king, a king of solidarity, a king who comes to share our suffering. And that somehow all of creation witnesses to this Christ as the king. See, I didn't actually write it down to walk through the details of it for you, but, but Jesus, you've heard it, it's just a little ragtag group of people. It says the multitudes, of course, but it wasn't a large crowd, we know. And they were there, and they're on the east side. There were the, it was the back gate, if you will, uh, of the entry to Jerusalem. It's muddy. They, have to, they don't even have enough uh, beauty that they're taking their coats off and throwing it over the mud for him to go through on a jackass, a donkey, right? This is a far cry from the parade of Pontius Pilate. But here he is on the back door of Jerusalem, bringing in God's story. He didn't come where the kings and queens normally entered. He came through the back door, again, not on a war horse, but on a borrowed donkey. Not surrounded by armed centurions, but a crowd of simple men and women and children. And this is Jesus' way of life. This is what he is saying the actual flow of the universe is moving toward. The path towards shalom looks like this. It's why creation was made. It's what holds it together, that he is the true purpose of the world. He is the one that makes the story make sense, that we belong to Jesus, that our lives are actually meant to be fulfilled by him, that he is meant to be our security, our safety, our esteem, our power. He is the one we were made for. Colossians puts it this way, that everything that has been made has been made through him and for him, and it is to him and toward him. That that's everything, the rocks, the palm branches, these chairs you're sitting in, uh, the boiler that's not working, everything here in the world is meant to cohere inside of the story of the good news through Jesus, for Jesus, toward Jesus. And we begin to trust him because he comes to show that he's a king who doesn't demand us uh, to pay and to go up on a cross, but instead he goes there himself. He says, this is such a beautiful thing and most of the world doesn't see it, but here you are. And if you tried to shut them up, even the stones are gonna cry out. This is the grain. Or the, is it, what's that flow? Going with the, the grain? The grain of the universe instead of going against the grain. This is the flow there's so much here that doesn't, there's more than meets the eye. In Matthew chapter 26, this is just uh, later in the week when Jesus is about to be crucified. People are starting to fight. They're going to go the way of power. And he says, no. And then he says, do you think that I cannot right now pray to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 armies of angels? In other words, there's more than meets the eye, the invisible realm. He even says later, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad that there is this invisible realm. People who have died and aren't in this world in the same way anymore are looking into this. It says angels, every time someone comes to know Jesus through faith, angels are amazed and they long to look into this mystery. And then he's got angels we can't see that could come in power, and they choose not to. He chooses this path of quiet, narrowness, suffering, sacrifice. Romans 8 says that the whole earth groans until Jesus is the king of everything. The whole earth, everything around us, the flow of the universe is to see Jesus be 
the king of all things, the king of every human heart, and not to display his power and his might and to make us cower in fear, but instead to win us in love through solidarity, through suffering, through sacrifice. And it says if you've been given the Holy Spirit, that your own spirit inside of you now groans for the same thing to happen. I'm going to read a little bit from Romans. It's worth it. I consider that the sufferings that I have right now, they're not worth comparing with the glory that is going to be revealed to us. The whole creation waits with eager longing for the sons and daughters of God to be revealed. And right now the creation is subjected to futility, all sorts of decay and death and all these things. Not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation will itself be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. The whole creation's been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now, and not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we await our adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. This is trying to tell you that in some mystery, this entire cosmos, all the planets, everything, is looking forward to and longing for and groaning for shalom to finally come. No more war. No more hurt. No more isolation. No more division. No more hate. No more shame. Wholeness. Getting home again. That's the destination of the world. And it's hard. All that's required of us in this sense then is to not go with the flow of the world, but to go with the flow of King Jesus and of his gospel and of his kingdom. And maybe to mix the metaphor beyond understanding, there is a time of day when the tide is changing and I'm walking by that East River and you'll see that there's still... Uh, maybe the outside's powerful current is going this way, but somehow something in the middle started getting sucked back out as the tide lows or it gets lower, and you see these kind of varying currents. And so, which one would you get on? And that picture here is to find the one that goes with the grain of the universe, which is towards peace, towards suffering for others in order that we might connect with them in love, towards sacrifice. It doesn't come naturally, it's terrifying, but that's what faith is to entrust oneself. I mean, some of you probably, I know it can be cheesy, you've probably done a trust fall somewhere, right? Some like work thing or a youth camp, whatever. It's terrifying. But all you have to do is trust and then you fall and the flow takes you and you're caught. And that's what Jesus is saying here, that if you will trust that this is actually the grain of the universe, this is the flow, this is where it's heading and this is what it's meant for and this is what it longs for this material and immaterial world and us and in our hearts and in our spirits that we actually do long for compassion and connection and laughter and to be connected with a new family, that we long for resurrection, that these things are promised to us if we will entrust ourselves to King Jesus. Every hurt can turn into deeper compassion. Every tear can lead to deeper laughter. Every difficult reconciliation process can lead to new connection, and every cross can lead to resurrection. And so I tell you simply this morning, praise him. The world itself, the stones are crying out that Jesus is king, 
and that the whole world is going to be liberated from its decay, and it is going to be full of shalom, and it is good. And it is saying that Jesus has ushered that in now through his death and resurrection. Nothing can shut them up. All we can do is shout along with them, Hosanna, the king. And so this week, let me encourage you to find him as we remember the story of Holy Week, the story of his passion and of his resurrection, but also in all the little ways, every little stone that you see, hear and believe that this world and your life and history is filled with meaning, that there are plenty of kings asking you to trust their power, but Jesus comes as one who became temporarily powerless to show us the love of God, the redemption of God. And so this week, in addition to your Bible readings and your worship, find time to sit with a stone. Sit in silence, marvel at a skyscraper, rip off a branch and wave it. Walk by a river. In all of these ways, cry out to King Jesus and tell him he's worth it. He's your destination. He's the hope of all the world. And you want to go with his flow. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.